0: From pandemics to catastrophic climate events, insurrections and a war in Europe, there's no doubt that our world has gotten more extreme. But what if I told you there was a group of Wall Street investors making billions off the back of these chaotic events? Scott Patterson is a financial reporter for The Wall Street Journal and a New York Times bestselling author of The Quants, a book on the rise of mathematical traders and their near destruction of the financial system. His new book, Chaos Kings, How Wall Street Traders Make Billions in the New Age of Crisis, looks into the world of the doom mongers, making a fortune from the worst case scenarios. Scott, welcome to RN Drive.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, Scott, you've been writing about the financial markets for some time. You were a financial journalist at the Wall Street Journal. You've also written a couple of books. Now, this one, Chaos Kings, what sparked your interest in this particular story, this theme and content?
1: Yeah, the idea for this book uh, came about in early 2020. Um, We all know what was going on in early 2020 around Mm. the world. Uh, And uh, it it was a couple things. Um, One was this hedge fund called Universa, which I've been writing about uh, since around the mid 2000s. Um, it's, It's a hedge fund that makes trades that pay off uh, fantastically well in market crashes. That's what it's designed to do. Um, so it, it came out around March of 2020 that they had uh, posted a return of nearly of 4,000% wow. uh, on their trades in the first uh, three months of the year. So that kind of blew my hair back.
0: Yeah, uh, it
1: was it was, you know, mind blowing. And it is very interesting to see. Uh, A fund do so well when everyone else around them is panicking and collapsing and blowing up. Um, But, you know, of course, that's what they they were designed to do. Yeah. Um, And so this hedge fund, the strategy goes back actually to the late 1990s when the guy who ran Universal, Mark Spitznagel, teamed up with another uh, trader named Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Um, and he's he went on to become very famous for his books that he wrote, including The Black Swan, mm. uh, uh, you know, which is about extreme events and how unpredictable they are. Um, and, uh, you know, I've also known Nassim for quite a, a long time. And I saw that uh, in January of 2020, he had co-authored a paper about COVID uh, warning about how, uh dangerous it was and, and the precautions that people needed to take mm. uh, and governments needed to take to protect against this uh, deadly virus. Mm. Um, now, now, I remember in January of 2020, very few people had any clue that COVID would be as as bad and, and global as it became. And I thought it's interesting that these two people, you know, Mark and Nassim, um, came out looking pretty smart in this period when... Everybody else was, uh, you know, losing their mind and and sort of going hysterical Mm, mm. and didn't know what to do. Um, And it, it showed I thought like there's something about the way these guys see the world that allows them to do really well in these periods of of chaos. Yeah, and so, that's how I, you know, came up with the idea for the book.
0: Yeah, so how do they see the world? Nassim Taleb is a key figure in your book. How did right. they see the world so differently when the pandemic was about to hit without getting too technical? How did they trade to benefit from that?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Universa's strategy isn't based on making predictions about things that are going to happen they are always making trades that will perform well in a crash Mm -hmm. and they just maintain those trades and they provide that to other investors like pension funds as a form of protection against crashes. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, Spitznagel saw that COVID was going to be really bad and he put on this big trade that would pay off. Well, they are always doing that. And, and the reason Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, Nassim and Mark, uh, do this is because they believe that the world is a lot more volatile uh, and chaotic than most do. That you know, most people think that things are going to be pretty normal. They're, you know, tomorrow is going to be like it was yesterday. Don't need to worry about it. When in, in their uh, view, things are very hard to predict, and mm. they can be really damaging. And destructive, and you really need to try to protect yourself against those things when you know, be it you know, financial markets or with pandemics or climate change is another thing that uh, Nassim has written about.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, this whole idea and how they uh, subscribe to their trading are are these is this idea of a black swan crisis, is that right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Black swans are very destructive and usually impossible to predict.
0: Okay, but they have the systems in place ready to cope with when that crisis predi- w- occurs. That's right. Okay. Now, sitting alongside uh, this storyline in your book is Didier Sornet. Uh, he also seeks to profit from these outlier events but approaches it from a different a different way, a different idea, this concept of Dragon Kings. What is that and how is that different to, you know, a Black Swan event?
1: Uh, They're very similar. Um, Didier came up with the Dragon King concept after the the Black Swan book came out because in his view, he thinks that um, people who subscribe to the Black Swan worldview can use it as an excuse to... Uh, say, you know, when something bad happens and it it hurts them like a, a fund manager, they can just say, well, it was a black swan. No one could have seen it coming. Unpredictable, you know, and not my fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and this was, you know, a lot of a lot of people were saying that after the financial crisis of the late 2000s. Uh, so that's when Didier came up with that, that idea. Mm-hmm. And his his Dragon King idea is that you actually can predict these extreme events using some very complicated math that uh, he, he's a physicist um, that that he developed in the 1990s, which was actually originally designed to predict the explosion of rockets. And he realized, looking at financial markets, that he could take this system and apply it to uh, markets and use it to detect signals that, would be an indicator of some major extreme event coming.
0: Right. I mean, is this, would you consider him to be a quant? Because I know you wrote your book in 2010, oh, yeah. you know, the quants, how a new breed of math yeah. wizards conquered Wall Street and nearly destroyed it. So do you yeah. sit are, are you in the, the anti-quant camp?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that. I am, I, I know many people who use quantitative formulas uh, responsibly and don't... Uh, use them in ways that can be dangerous and, and and you know in that book one of the things that I found uh, in the quants was that uh, many on Wall Street and other you know financial markets around the world were using formulas that allowed them to take a lot of risk mm. and use a lot of leverage and borrowed money to make big bets because they believe that using this quantitative model it a lot, it, it gave them an edge that uh, you know made it more um, likely that their bets would pay off. Mm-hmm. It turned out in you know 2007 and 2008, particularly in the. US housing market, the uh, value of. US houses went down significantly. This was not in any of the models. it was something that was completely unexpected sort of a black swan event, and uh, it caused many of those models and other derivatives tied to them to, to blow up and, and create this crisis. Mm, uh, and, and Taleb is sort of, you could say he's, you know, he's sort of an anti-quant, but he uses mathematical models to, to sort of buttress his worldview and criticism of, of financial models.
0: And how did his modelling go um, during the financial crisis? He had uh
1: he had made some predictions about uh some big you know housing related companies mm. that uh you know in, in I talk about this a little bit in in the book Chaos Kings uh he, it, there's a scene where he's presented with some uh some models used by large US housing companies called Fannie Mae and yeah. Freddie Mac.
0: Oh yeah, we remember and- those.
1: Yeah. Uh they became very notorious. Yes. Um and he looked at those predictions and the models that they were using and he was saying these these are going to blow up because they're making very large bets using lots of leverage and if something happens that's outside of the models they're going to they're going to melt down. So he did see some of that coming and he also uh you know had been for quite a long time saying that Wall Street was using models that hid risk and that was creating a, a you know, big potential problem that they, they could blow up and, you know, it, that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Are you talking about all those collateralized loans that were bundled up as something that they probably weren't?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of them. Mm. Um, the, the main one that he criticized was a model called value at risk. And this, this was a model that looked at the volatility of a portfolio in a bank uh, over the course of a year and seeing how much, you know, it the value of the assets moved up or down mm. and it it carved out five the five worst percentage days of the year. <laughs> it wow. just threw them out. Wow. Uh, so what they what that model was doing was saying, you know, oh, these were these were weird days uh, <laughs> when things were happening that, you know, really sh- you know, shouldn't have happened. So we're just going to look at that part. We're going to look at the You know, the more predictable days. And what Nassim was saying was, no, that 5% is what you really need to look at.
0: Yeah, right. Uh,
1: That's the important part. And that's one of the key things that he had discovered was, you know, Wall Street and these financial modelers were ignoring black swan type events. They were Mm. throwing out the extreme volatile days. Because it 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 didn't it made it made the models not work very yeah,
0: well. Yeah, yeah, and because they're outliers, so, right? And they don't fit into that modeling. I, I've got to ask you, Scott. Yeah. You know, my listener, my listeners will be thinking here: Can anyone actually predict with a degree of accuracy how financial markets play out in times of chaos, or is it just one big guessing game? Because it works for some and not for others.
1: I, I'm in the guessing game category. The problem is. In the dot-com bubble of the late 90s and early 2000s, Mm. everybody could see that these markets were in bubbles. The hard part is predicting when a bubble is going to pop, you know, and it becomes not so much a matter of your ability to uh, analyze the uh, underlying fundamentals of the companies and markets. It's being able to time the irrationality of human beings, mm. which is just not, uh, a, you know, easy thing to do. Well, <laughs> um, but what Nassim and, and his, and Spitznagel do is they are predict, they are making a prediction that things are going to be extremely chaotic from time to time more often than most people realize. So it's, it's a form of prediction that doesn't rely on timing the market. It's they're, they're predicting that there's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of crazy stuff happen and we're going to be there uh to protect you our clients when that happens and that's that's really what's important because they what they discovered was it's those really bad days that are the most important mm. for an investing strategy if you can protect yourself from the big 40 50% declines the the rest of your trading should take care of itself whereas most people are are looking at the day to day stuff and not trying hard not to think about those those bad days.
0: Mm. You mentioned the dot com uh, bubble just then. I mean, I'd really love to know if you know where uh, Nasim Taleb's or, or Spitznagel's thoughts are on the Nasdaq, the tech-heavy US index, which has surged almost forty percent year to date, you've got these, you know, six or seven stocks that are just, you know, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, that are just hugely weighted in that fund. Do you think they're preparing Mm -hmm. for any sort of correction there?
1: Uh, You know, they will never talk about specific stocks or even...
0: Indexes? Industries,
1: aside from, you know, maybe the, the financial system as a whole mm. or banks as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what Mark is saying right now is he, he's actually predicting a major crash that could be worse than 1929. Uh, and is that and as a result
0: of what we've been seeing in the banks, the banking issues this year? It's debt.
1: It's debt. debt. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's about how much debt has been issued by countries, by companies, over this period of extremely low interest rates Mm. uh, worldwide that was implemented by central banks following the global financial crisis in 2008. And those extremely low interest rates allowed everybody to issue debt and not really have to pay much for that debt. Mm. Uh, Now, as interest rates are going up, uh, they see a reckoning coming. The problem, again, is predicting when that could happen. Mm. It could be, you know, in months. It could be take years for that to manifest.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, I personally have no idea. uh, (laughs) You know, I have been covering financial markets for a very long time, and and one thing I've learned is I I cannot – predict Uh, predict anything.
0: Yeah, and as we know, rates are coming back down now as seemingly inflation is getting, you know, central banks around the world are getting a handle on that. Uh, Scott Patterson is discussing his new book, Chaos Kings, How Wall Street Traders Make Billions in the New Age of Crisis here on RN Drive. Um, Scott, one thing that investors are are often told is that they must manage their risk by offsetting riskier investments with generally safer investments such as bonds if someone has a balanced risk profile, say, which is probably the majority of, uh, you know, mum and dad investors, if you like, um, with that term. Your book, however, makes the case that risk is far higher than most people are able to understand. Can you just expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, anybody who's been in financial markets for the past 20 or 30 years, knows that uh from time to time there are these extreme events and i think that the risk of those extreme events is is getting higher because markets are more and more connected than ever so when you know one part of a market uh say a country that you know defaults on its debt that can you you can see contagion Ripple through the system very quickly mm. because of how correlated assets get during these times of chaos. Mm. Uh, in quant terminology, people say uh, correlations go to one uh, in, in these periods, which means that everything is connected. The way that the you know typical Wall Street models work is, as you say, uh, you know people put money in bonds and stocks. And when stocks go down, the bonds are supposed to perform well. Mm, mm. Um, that that's a very popular strategy, especially with, you know, big pension funds. Um, it was terrible in 2022. It was, Mm. you know, the worst year ever for the 60, 40 strategy. Mm. And, you know, what Mark Spitznagel says is it's actually a, a really, it's a wealth destroying strategy because, It it takes you out of the market when it's doing well. You've got all this money in bonds and it's just sort of sitting there, might be collecting some interest, but you're missing out uh, on the upside of stock markets, which tend to go up a lot more Mm. um, than bonds uh, usually. Mm. What you really want to do is to have some trade on that will uh, protect you in a crash. Um, The problem is, and and I went over this with Spitznagel over and over again as I was writing this book, is how can, you know, mom and pop investors do Mm -hmm. that?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: they really can't. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's just no way. uh, There's nothing out there that's safe, uh, you know, that investors can do. You really need to be sophisticated uh, in order to put on that trade because one of the problems with it is it loses money very consistently for years at a time. Yeah, you're you're just buying these things. It's sort of like an insurance premium. You're paying for your insurance. Then you know when the house catches on fire, it pays off, and that's how it works. Yeah, you're years um, in
0: the wilderness and in the dark, aren't you, with these credit default yeah. swaps until yeah, they these come are into options. play. Mm. Yeah,
1: these are stock options that mm. they buy. Mm, mm, they mm. pay off in a very like a huge crash, mm, but mm. normally they expire worthless.
0: Yeah, which doesn't sound great for people who rely on that money for a pension, right, a pension income. Your book, uh, the the subtitle of your book reads How Wall Street Traders Make Billions in the New Age of Crisis. Can you expand on what you see as the New Age crisis? You touched on a little bit of it before with climate, et cetera, but what are the the key points in this New Age crisis that we need to be mindful of?
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, like I said, the uh, the idea for the book had uh, come out of what I was seeing around me in 2020, and it certainly felt like we were in a new new age of crisis. And there are some uh, sort of uh, technical reasons for that, uh, for saying that things are becoming more risky um, on multiple levels. And you know, one is travel. Uh, We're traveling as a species a lot more than we ever did Mm. long distances. That is what allows something like COVID-19 to spread so rapidly before anybody even knows it's it's moving around the globe on, you know, United United Airlines. And Mm. uh, so um, that's that's one thing. And and I write about some uh, epidemiologists and complexity theorists who have modeled that and looking at it and saying, like, um, you know, it, it used to be that you know very deadly pathogens would die out pretty quickly, say in a in a village uh, where they break out because they it, they kill people very quick, quickly and then they can't spread. Mm. Um, what the new research is finding is that as you know, people are more urbanized; they're riding around in buses and vehicles together. They're getting on planes. We we are reaching a point where those very deadly pathogens can actually travel and and break out of those zones uh, rapidly. Mm. Um, And, you know, we've seen in financial markets, things are becoming more and more correlated with electronic trading, very fast, uh, high-frequency trading can cause things to uh, spin out of control, um, you know, before anybody even knows what's happened. Um, Climate is a big one, for Mm. sure. It's... Mm. uh, you know, as everybody's seeing these super high temperatures around the world. Yeah, right now. Um Yeah, right now. And it's actually what I cover at the Wall Street Journal is climate. Um, it, It's just uh, it's a monster in terms of risk. And, uh, you know, something I write about in the book is how insurance companies can't even really get their heads around it because it's uh, potentially a systemic risk, which is. You know, something that can can affect entire financial systems mm. and they don't know how to model it. Uh, you know, they they need to if they're going to provide a policy for somebody, they need to say, OK, here's what the, the historical record says about the frequency of these X, Y, Z events. Mm. So here's what your premium is, you know, what you need to pay. They can't figure that premium out because it's climate change and the change part. Doesn't fit within the models, mm, mm. Um, and and they they see things happening more quickly than they expected. Um, it's just impossible to uh, to to know what the risk is going to be. Say for uh, you know property owners on. Uh, shorelines. Yeah.
0: Oh, we know, have it. Yeah. It's a big issue here in Australia and we've been warned that I'm sure. insurance premiums are going up um, again this year. I'm interested to know, Scott, some of the examples of these chaotic events that um, these men in your book have capitalised on are the 2008 global financial crisis, the pandemic that we've been discussing. I think a lot of people would be thinking, is it actually ethical to be making money off, you know, mass suffering and catastrophe?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, that's a good question. I think that when you look at, at what they're doing is they're providing this, uh, you know, insurance coverage against a crash to pension funds or family offices that uh, otherwise could suffer a lot. So, you know, you have pensioners who are dependent on these funds doing OK so that they can retire And, you know, this is something that can help those pension funds survive these catastrophic periods. And, you know, in in 2008, there really weren't this, you know, many funds like this. Universa had just launched in 2007, and pension funds were just hammered by what happened in that period. They lost tons of money. They had to sell a bunch of stocks and then were underwater. and you know are going to be unable to uh meet their commitments. Mm. So, mm. I think that, you know, they I mean they do kind of struggle with it uh from, you know, when these things happen because everybody's suffering, they're doing really well, but uh, you know yeah, I sort of have to look at the bigger picture of who they're they're providing this investment service to. It's for, you know, in part, retirees. Mm,
0: mm. Uh, just two two last questions. How do you think um, Spitznagel and Nasim Taleb view Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and that field? Mm.
1: Yeah, I don't know what Spitznagel thinks. I know uh, Taleb initially uh, was a proponent of Bitcoin, but he's become a big critic of it mm. recently, and partly that's looking at how it performed in the past few years. So you know, one thing that people said was Bitcoin could be uh, a safe harbor of wealth during yeah, yeah. periods of chaos. Because
0: it's not impacted like, by inflation, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that was the idea. But mm. during you know 2020 and 2021, it got crushed. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, I it's it's very volatile. He even, he likes to say like it's it's not even a good source for money laundering. Yeah, <laughs> because there's a ledger. So, and if you um, forget
0: your wallet, or your your password or whatever, it's gone. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, and he and he also thinks it's not a good inflation hedge because it didn't do well during inflation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just finally, Scott. What about now, even though you mentioned retail investors might not be able to trade on the back of a black swan event, what can they do in an environment of high inflation, you know, bouncing tech stocks, high rates? You know, it seems very uncertain, maybe not chaotic right now, but it still seems a bit uncertain out there.
1: Yeah, um, I think that, right, you know, people like to say that stocks like to climb a wall of worry. And I think that there's still a lot of worry out there, which makes me think that stocks are probably going to keep going up. You know, and we're, we haven't really hit a period of euphoria where people think, like, this is great, Every, you know, like we did in the late 90s or the you know, mid-2000s, where there was just this kind of irrational exuberance that the market was just going to keep going up. I think that the, the 2020 period, 2021, is still fresh in people's minds and, and they're concerned about things that are – it's sort of a contrarian way of thinking about things that if you know people are, are worried, it means that the market is going to keep rising. Mm. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't claim to have any ability to predict. I just know that we, we haven't really seen that bull run mentality yet where uh, – You know, everybody is day trading and, you know, it's pulling in more and more money. Uh, But that's just me spouting off. I have really no idea.
0: (laughs) Well, Scott, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And that's Scott Patterson discussing his new book, Chaos Kings, how Wall Street traders make billions in the new age of crisis. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.